As Protestants and Catholics, we worship the same God, we just do it a little differently. For example, Protestants worship God in their Bible studies, fellowship, and spirit-filled services. And Catholics worship God in their beautiful cathedrals, liturgies, and sacred traditions. But that's no reason to behave like prideful little children in the Father's house, fighting over who God loves more, just because we think our way is the best way. For there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles, and there is no distinction between Protestants and Catholics. The same Lord is Lord of all, and is generous to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are all God's children, but the enemy has us distracted and divided against ourselves. Meanwhile, he's destroying our families and robbing our children of their future. We must join forces. Let's stop talking about how we are different and start talking about how we are all the same in our struggles. We are all broken and we all need a savior named Jesus. We like this idea so much we created Broken Catholic, the number one podcast in the world for Protestants and Catholics. Now close your eyes and take a listen as everyday Christians reveal shocking before and after stories of how they resisted or cooperated with God's plan for their life and what happened next. Hi, this is Dr. Scott Hahn and you're listening to Joseph Warren with Broken Catholic. You're going to enjoy everything you hear. I want to tell you about a new method for high performers, CEOs, and dads over 40 that need to get unstuck. Download this free guide, The Three Reasons You're Stuck in Midlife and How to Fix It. My method, which is in the free guide, allowed me to find meaning, fix my marriage, and bulletproof my body and mind at age 47. Dads in midlife that want the impressive marriage, mindset, and meaning to go along with their impressive money need this guide. The truth is most men are not focused on the right priorities. Most dilute themselves and spread themselves too thin. Today, by not having a laser focus around just one growth strategy, it will make it very hard to get unstuck. There really is only one physical mental transformation strategy for dads over 40, 50, and 60 that works today. Executives, leaders, and dads that need to get unstuck after 40, download this free guide, The Three Reasons You're Stuck in Midlife and How to Fix It at ShreddedFathers.org. That's ShreddedFathers.org. Today, my featured guest is Riley Sadler, and he's served as Christian in Christian ministry since 2001. Currently, he's the founder and executive director of Let My People Go, headquartered in New York City. That's my hometown. He's also the author of Vulnerable, Rethinking Human Trafficking. And as you guessed it, BC Nation, that's what we're speaking about today. We're going to speak about Riley's faith journey, but also what God has him up to in the world right now which is putting an end to this tragedy of human trafficking that is epidemic across our planet. His passion is to see the local church, and this is what makes him different, that's why I invite him on the show, is to see the local church fight global injustices like human trafficking by loving those most vulnerable. After all, in the Bible it says we're called to protect the weak and innocent, the vulnerable. He believes that the church should be leading the way in the fight against human trafficking because the gospel frees us to pursue justice and mercy in our communities. It all starts locally, doesn't it? He believes it is the responsibility of the church to love those who are at risk of exploitation. Who is the church? BC Nation, it's you and I. It's not just the clergy up at the pulpit. It's you and I. We're the body of Christ, united as one church. Riley Sadler, welcome to Broken Catholic. Go ahead and fill in some of the, the gaps in that intro, would you? Thank you so much for having me, Joseph. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, 
God has a special plan for the local church. And for me, I had always been a pastor. I've been in ministry for about 20 years in some form or facet, different roles. But at the end of the day, I'm hearing about issues like human trafficking and all these other issues that kind of plague those most vulnerable. And I was thinking, what can I do? Like, how can I bring my training to bear? How can I bring my passions to bear? And what I've seen is the church is God's answer to the vulnerability around us, at least in some form or facet. We can address things that other social organizations can't address in the way that we can. I so, so agree with that. However, like as a pastor, well, first off, you're like interviewing me. Look at that. You're pulling <laughs> me into the conversation. We're going to go back in time into your faith journey first. And BC Nation, you can find Rally at lmpgnetwork.org. That's lmpgnetwork.org. It stands for Let My People Go Network.org. So, Rally, let's go back in time. Um, let's speak about your faith journey and tell me about uh, the faith you were raised in um, and what that looked like in early childhood. Just kind of paint us that picture real quick, would you? Yeah, so I didn't really start going to church until I was uh, regularly about seven or eight years old. And um, I, made, I made a profession of faith. That's something that we do in my tradition. I grew up Southern Baptist, so on the Protestant side. And it was interesting because I made this prayer, but I think for me, I didn't know if it took, you know, it was like <laughs> my faith was more in my action than on God's action on my behalf. And That's so, so funny. It's like, yeah. did it stick to heaven? I don't know. Go ahead. Well, man, I went through this really long period of doubt that even followed me in some form and facet through to seminary. But it was this idea of, did I pray the prayer right? Did I walk enough aisles? Was I penitent, penitent enough? I got to ask you this. Did do I look you, the part, you know? Do you think that's the enemy, like creating that self-doubt in your, your head, in your mind? Because that do. happens to all of us, right? I, I do. I think that's a part of it. And I also think I was so focused on my reception of the finished work of Jesus that I wasn't really focused on the actual finished work of Jesus. I wasn't realizing, wow, it's done. I'm loved. I'm loved because of what he did on the cross, not because of what I did to receive it. And that is what ultimately changed my life. This idea of, wow, he has handled sin. I'm a sinner. Awesome. Let's move forward. <laughs> so many times we get caught in the past, don't we? Yeah. We're like, okay, I'm, I'm a sinner. And he saved me, but man, like, let's talk about how crappy I was, right? And then as we talk about how crappy I was, we started, am I really forgiven? Because I wouldn't forgive me. You wouldn't forgive me. So how can I believe that this Jesus would forgive me? BC Nation, aren't these the voices in your head? It's like we all have them. All right, so Rally, like, take me all the way back before your pastoring days and, right, and, and before you, you had the calling and you stepped up, right, and you gave your life to Jesus. Like, what did your life look like before that? Well, you're just a normal, typical guy who went to school and raised in the faith and everything, and he didn't mess up. Or you were that other normal, typical guy, a broken uh, mess like I was, and you, you rebelled and you went out there and you started – you know, chasing all the gods of money, success, power, pleasure, all that. Where were you? You know, so it's my story is a little different because I think when I, 
<laughs> when I was younger, I did the Christian thing, man. Like I was baptized. I went to youth group, children's church before that. I tried to be the model kid. Um, but what was funny was my family is kind of the family that you'd see at church that was pretty rough around the edges. We could play church on Sunday, but when we got home, it was real, you know, it was messy. It wasn't, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't like my dad walked into my bedroom and said, wake up my son, blessings to you. And then walked out. That was not our dynamic. And so I grew up. What did it look like? (laughs) Like you know, when it, you got all get, got home from church, what was the typical day in the life of your family? Man, there were days that we were like cursing at each other, walking down the aisle to sit in the pews at church. You know, it was like, it was a mess. Like we were, we, we were doing the best that we could, but what I learned and I spent the majority of my life and this is sad, but like, and, and my parents were probably the same way, but thinking, God, why didn't you give me that? perfect Christian family that doesn't have strife, that's not dysfunctional at times, that doesn't fight. Like, why didn't you give me that? And I think I know the reason why. One, because it doesn't exist. But two, the second reason is because this family prepared me for the work I do now. And so as crazy and wild and and thankfully they're amazing parents, but yeah, we all have our edges. I have my edges. I love that your podcast is called A Broken Catholic because I think as Christians, we have to realize, yes, we were broken back then, but we're broken right now. We still do a lot of weird crap. We are still messed up. We are not perfect. And I think my upbringing prepared me to not only embrace that about myself, but to embrace that in others when I'm loving people that don't fit the mold. Mm. So powerful, BC Nation. And I'm going to paraphrase the way I heard uh, what Rally just said, my dysfunctional family prepared me for what I'm doing now. Like, isn't that true? And I could say it about my family. They weren't perfect. They were a mess, right? There was yelling. There was all this infighting. Like, as brothers, like, there's three boys, three girls, right? And, and my brothers and I, Rally, we took it upon ourselves to, like, be the best at digging the other person and, and suppressing them verbally, right? And ranking them out, right? And just destroying like their, their uh, self-confidence. And we took pride in that. And, and, and then I went out and I did that in the real world. Did that help me in life? No, set me back so far, but man, like just, just how far I've come, right? And the same for you and BC Nation, you're sitting there right now and you're like, man, if only I came from that perfect family, like Rally's talking about, then I'd be, I'd have this, I'd be doing this, right? I wouldn't be stuck in this. Not true. You're meant to be where you are. And God is using all those things. If you face them and embrace them and then ask for his help to get through them, he wants to grow you in that. What shows up for you in that rally? No, I think that's exactly right. You know, it's so many times we don't exactly trust God to do what he does best, right? We think God, you place me in the wrong situation. Um, and it's interesting too, because there are some things that, that are horrific that I do not feel comfortable saying God wanted that for his children, right? Like, but at the end of the day, some of the things that we go through, a lot of them, in fact, shape us into who we become. And I believe God can bring beauty out of ashes. I really believe that. 
I agree with you. And I believe that God is the king of transformation. Like you said, like we don't get out of the way and let God do what he does. God wants to transform human hearts from broken messes to these beautiful sons and daughters, right, of his. And it's like we don't get out of the way and forgive ourselves, ask for forgiveness, and let God transform us. We're the, we're the bottleneck in our own life, BC Nation. Like, and the sooner you get that, the sooner you can move through that. All right, so Rally, let's get into this. Um, let's talk about, uh, you know, what does God have you doing now? All right, so you started as this ideal trophy Christian kid from a dysfunctional Christian Baptist family. Got it? Because we all come from some version of that. And then you get into ministry, you start ministry, then you're hearing from the pulpit, uh, you know, people are saying, hey, you know, what's going on with this? Like, we got, we got all this sex trafficking, we got human trafficking, like, we got to do something about it. What made you not turn your back on it like most pastors do? And I say most, I'll, I'll probably say many is a better way to say it, um, and say, not our problem, that's out there, it's not in here. I'm the pastor of this church. I'm only going to deal with what my flock is going through right now. That's too big of a problem. That's too overwhelming. I can't impact that. We can't impact that. We can't put a dent in it. What made you choose? Yes, we can. You know, it's funny because I talk about this in my book. When I was in seminary, I remember thinking, you know, if you really understand the gospel, if you really are tracking with what God's saying, then you will not do justice and mercy initiatives. Because that means you've lost sight of Christ crucified. And I was just thinking, I was so right during that period. And then I started reading the scriptures. Then I started wrestling with the scriptures. Then I started noticing over and over and over, God is talking about the poor and the weak and those who need an advocate and those who need a mediator and those who are walk with them in their own brokenness. And I couldn't escape that. I couldn't get past that. And I didn't hear this in the churches that I was attending. And I didn't really hear this until I went to a historically black college and university where I was a campus minister and pastors and bishops would come alongside of me and say, have, we know that you proclaim the gospel and that's beautiful, but what do you know about demonstrating it? What do you know about living this out? And I took students from that university to a conference called Passion in downtown Atlanta, where someone by the name of Christine Kane, who is a noted abolitionist, she was speaking on human trafficking and she was talking about how we create a demand for it. We create a demand for it by what we eat, what we um, wear, what we even watch. And I think at that point, I like two days before had, it wasn't pornography, but it was something sexually explicit on like some streaming network that I'd watched. And I was broken. And I remember thinking, God, I'm sorry. I didn't know that my private sins have social ramifications. And I repented. And at that point, right after, I felt this deep inner thing that I can't explain, but it was this idea of you need to do something, you will do something. And I ran from it. That's exactly what I did. I ran from it for a year until I couldn't run anymore and lost one of my best friends to cancer, lost my job, lost a relationship. And I finally got to this point where all the distractions had been taken away. And I was able to see that calling and say, okay, God, I'm ready. Let's do this. Wow. BC Nation, it's really good to learn from your own mistakes. Smarter people learn from other people's mistakes. 
Listen to what Rally just said. Are you running from the calling that God has put on you and you're running from it? Don't. I mean, Rally's so right. And I went through it myself. It's like God will, he loves you enough that he'll remove all the distractions from your life, even things you consider to be good. And sometimes you'll lose people in your life. Does that make him a bad God? No, that makes him a God who's madly in love with you and he'll pursue you at all costs. Whatever will get your attention. The problem is most of us need severe pain to get our attention. So Rally, all right, uh, fast forward us to present day or at least the early beginnings of that. What was the first step? Like, okay, you got the calling, you had the conviction now. What's that first step even look like in an overwhelming problem like that? So the first step for me was moving to New York. And um, within a week, I get a call from an organization that is fighting human trafficking. And they say, we're about to do a year-long project. It's going to culminate in a, a week-long event. And we want you to mobilize churches. Well, I'd never done that before, but I started. I started a pot, or actually a panel discussion called Let My People Go with basically the who's who of the anti-trafficking sphere in New York. And what started with one panel discussion grew into multiple panel discussions, which grew into um, lunch conversations, which grew into me working with people in a pilot project, getting churches from all over the city to spend a year with me to talk about how their church can inject justice and mercy into everything they do. And that ultimately gave birth to let my people go. How did you get, what was the message you brought to these churches that penetrated their hearts, the, the hearts of the pastors? They got so much going on. I mean, those are little businesses they're running. They're the CEOs. It's just what's real. Like, and it seems like it's a total distraction to get involved in human trafficking. How did you, how did you get through to them? for them to shift their focus, their energy, their finances in this direction? Well, the first thing I said was, you know, I'm not here to add anything else to your plate. If anything, I'm here to help you take things off your plate. So we're going to help you empower people in your church to take the bulk of this ministry on. You will still need to support it. You'll still need to preach about it. You'll still need to give tangible application in your messages about it. But at the end of the day, you are not in charge of running this. In fact, our goal is to empower you to empower your congregation to do the very work that God called them to in the first place. So, yeah, that's one way to, that we started. And then really kind of centering in on a very simple definition of human trafficking, that it is the exploitation of vulnerability for commercial gain. I would define human trafficking in that way. And so for us, when we work with a church, we're saying that our mission is to empower the local church, God's expression of the church locally in every community. Our job is to empower the local church to fight human trafficking, this big mega issue, by loving those who are most vulnerable to it. Because when you do that, you're caring for the people that traffickers could target. So what might that look like? Could you give us one or two examples of actions of how that's implemented? So the first thing we do is we help a church create a justice ministry team. This is a team that goes out and they are the first responders. But to learn who's most vulnerable in the community, we send them out to talk to the local stakeholders, like local nonprofits, local law enforcement, local, um, gosh, local social services. 
and to say, what are you seeing? Who are those most vulnerable? What's working? What are the needs here? And after about three to six months of having all these interviews with the different people that are in your community, one, you're going to get a bigger picture of your community, but two, something is going to bubble to the top. You're going to see, wow, I think single parents are those most vulnerable, or I think immigrants, whether they have documentation or not, are most vulnerable, or I think um, families impacted by incarceration or ethnic enclaves or what have you, something will bubble to the top, and it's those people that we focus on because we don't want the ministry to focus on everybody because at the end of the day, that's going to expend all your resources. That's going to wear your people out and you're going to lose your identity in that sense. But what would happen if you find that group that's most vulnerable, then we train your whole congregation to do something so that when they leave the church, they know something that they can do, something that they can build on. And that's really our model. It's brilliant. And it's also the same in business. Right, I have an entrepreneurial podcast called Your First 100,000. And that's where I teach entrepreneurs how to make their first 100,000 or more. And it's the same exact thing when you're building a startup company. You focus who's that ideal client. Who's the, the ones that I'm go they have a massive problem. I can help them. I'm not looking to help everybody. Same thing. I'll, you know, spread my resources to thing. But if I get laser focused and just help these types of people with this big problem and provide a great solution for it, we win, right? That's, that's how a business wins. And it, it sounds like you've done the same model here uh, in ministry, which is fantastic. So everything bubbles to the top. Uh, you see the thing in the community, you see those vulnerable people. Um, how do you now act upon that? So pick an example of, you know, one profile or demographic, and then what do you actually do? What does that look like, the execution part of that? So one church we worked with, they were ultimately, oh, it was so interesting. They were part of our pilot project. We helped them think through, okay, who do you, who do you identify with in your community? And it was really that community was low hanging fruit because it's a very um, international community. A lot of foreign nationals are living there. And so they were doing a coat drive where they were partnered with a collaborative organization and they were just giving away coats for the winter. And a young woman from Central Asia came in and she was actually looking for a coat, but also looking for community. She was really excited. And in broken English, she said, you know what, pastor, I, I have gotten a job right down the street. And so, you know, the, the pastor was excited for her. He was hoping he'd see her again, but he didn't know how he would see her. And about three months later, he's told that there is a brothel on the community Facebook page. So he clicks the link. And at an illicit massage parlor, which was literally two doors, two doors down from the church, he saw in a provocative pose the woman to whom he gave a coat. And he was broken. And he called me and said, what do we do? And I said, you, you collaborate with your local stakeholders here. I mean, there are things that you can do, but there's more that you can do together. So collaborate with local law enforcement. And so they started a relationship with local law enforcement. And that one pastor who gave that one quote to that one woman who was working at that one illicit massage parlor, or was being exploited rather at that one illicit massage parlor, um, led to 24 illicit massage parlors in Ridgewood, Queens being shut down. And so, yeah, just one church noticing one vulnerable group led to community transformation. 
So all those, uh, those vulnerable people working in those massage parlors were set free. And let my people go served its mission of letting those people go. God's precious daughters, right? And maybe sons, I don't know. Um, wow. I get that, you know, and, and thank you for sharing that example because it really brings it home, you know, for us, what you're up to in the world. BC Nation, Broken Catholic Nation, if you love what Rally stands for, what he's doing, he's not just standing for something, he's getting out there and he's doing something about it. If you want to join forces with him or want to help in some way, go visit lmpgnetwork.org, letmypeoplegonetwork.org, um, and, and connect with him, right? Find him there and, and see how you can help. Um, if there's, maybe you're a local pastor listening to my show, and I know a lot of pastors uh, listen to my show, both uh, Protestant pastors and Catholic pastors. Um, and if you want to get involved with your local church, reach out to Rally and ask him, hey, how do we start this here? I got a lot of vulnerable people in, in my community. What do we do about it? I've been looking for a solution. Reach out to Rally for that. I think he can help you. All right, Rally, uh, we, we got about three or four minutes here, man, because time is just moving. So welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the confession round. <laughs> this is where I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. It's just for fun. Don't overthink it. Are you ready, sir? Yeah. All right. What's your favorite thing about God? Uh, his grace. Mm. What's your least favorite thing? Hmm. Come on. Oh man. My least favorite thing. Um, I honestly don't know if I have a least favorite thing. I really don't. We all do. I don't let you off the hook. I think, I think my least favorite thing is what I project upon him from bad theology I've picked up in my life. Got it. That did, you did a, a little sneaky shortcut there. You, yeah. you did your least favorite thing about you in your relationship <laughs> with him, but that's interesting. I'll let you off. What are you most afraid of? Oh, gosh. Um, what am I most afraid of? Well, I'm a six on the Enneagram, so we're afraid of almost everything. We just try to confront it. And so it's really hard to just pick one. Heights, maybe, but I try to confront that, too. Okay. Are you scared of getting to heaven? Because it's pretty high up there. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, it's, there's just like really solid floors. <laughs> nice. What did you spend way too much time doing in your twenties? Oh gosh. Worrying about what life would look in my four look like in my forties, look like in my fifties, you know, just trying to make the best decisions possible. And yeah, just fretting, just worrying about what people think primarily. Yeah, I get that. BC Nation, stop worrying. God's got your future. Lean on him. What secret fear do you have about people? Oh, gosh, that um, they aren't as they seem. That you cannot trust them. Yeah, I get that. What do you wish you had learned sooner about God? That it wasn't about me being perfect, but it was about me resting in his perfection. Did you catch that, BC Nation? Please say that again. That it wasn't about me being perfect. It was about me resting in his perfection. BC Nation, what if you don't have to be perfect? What if you're loved by a God who already is? Boom. What's a new habit you want to form, my friend? Oh, I want to start filing things. 
I know it seems very practical, but I do not file anything. It just gets in this huge pile. You can't see it necessarily. You can kind of see it in my office, but I've hidden the big piles from you. But yeah, I want to, I mean, I've got filing cabinet and everything, but filing is kind of important for me. <laughs> What's a bad habit you want to break? I would love to break my nail chewing, but you know, biting my nails, but I don't know if that's going anywhere anytime soon, but I would love to try. Dude, you're, you're like biting the windowsills of God's temple. There it is. Does that give you perspective? The, the windowsills of God's temple. <laughs> That's it. That's what they are. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, pick three words to describe who you are now. Uh, loyal, loving, and determined. Pick three words to describe who you were before you experienced God in your heart. Fearful, insecure, and angry. Yeah, get that. And last question, if you could come back to life after you died, look your family and your friends in the eye and give them only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? Don't worry so much. And stop biting your windowsills. Stop biting your windowsills. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Rally. any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about having a relationship with God versus not? At the end of the day, God loves you. And he loves you with a love where there's no strings attached. You don't, you don't have to be a certain way. You don't have to be perfect because he did this for you. And I think he lived, he died, he rose for you. And I think just believing that kind of takes the sting away from a lot of things. Mm. BC Nation, just believe that you're loved because you are. And whether you believe it or not doesn't change the fact that you are. God is love. It's what he does. Mm. All right. What's the best way for BC Nation to get in touch with you specifically if they so choose? So one of the best ways would be through our website, lmpgnetwork.org or through my book website, which is thevulnerablebook.com. Either of those ways will send you right to me. You can send an email and I can respond. And what's your Facebook page for Let My People Go? It's LMPG Network. On Facebook. All right. Excellent. Rally, thank you for being on Broken Catholic, my friend. You are a superstar for God. You are God's precious son. And thank you for answering the call that he's placed on your life. And BC Nation, get quiet with God. Find out what he's calling you to do. You can't hear the call if you're constantly talking. You got to get quiet and hear the quiet whisper of God. All right, Rally, have a blessed day. God love you. And I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, my friend. Thank you. Cheers. I want to tell you about a new method for high performers, CEOs, and dads over 40 that need to get unstuck. Download this free guide, The Three Reasons You're Stuck in Midlife and How to Fix It. My method, which is in the free guide, allowed me to find meaning, fix my marriage, and bulletproof my body and mind at age 47. Dads in midlife that want the impressive marriage, mindset, and meaning to go along with their impressive money need this guide. The truth is most men are not focused on the right priorities. Most dilute themselves and spread themselves too thin. 
Today, by not having a laser focus around just one growth strategy, it will make it very hard to get unstuck. There really is only one physical mental transformation strategy for dads over 40, 50, and 60 that works today. Executives, leaders, and dads that need to get unstuck after 40, download this free guide, The Three Reasons You're Stuck in Midlife and How to Fix It, at shreddedfathers.org. That's shreddedfathers.org.